There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Friday Ask Me Anything. Um, I've been on tour around the countryside. I've been in Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Canberra. And along the way, I've been doing a bunch of meetups with the subscriber community. Um, That's the Substack subscriber community. And there's been a number of really wonderful conversations that we've been having with some common themes coming up and some common questions coming up. And I figured I'd cover some of them off that have come in from subscribers who were at those meetings that kind of pick up on what we were talking about. I do have two more such Substack subscriber meetups, one in Sydney and one in Byron Bay. These are both in March. I would love to see you there. The details for those are on the Substack post that's up now where you can also watch this as a video and you can get all the links that I reference in this conversation. So I refer to books and other podcasts and um, so on and so forth when I do these rants. And um, I also open up the comments over there so and join in um, sort of in the afternoon, Friday, and, and also over the weekend. And um, it's where we, the community, talk about the stuff that I talk about here um, as a group and we go in a little deeper. So this is a 20-minute session. I'm going to try to cover off three questions. So it might be a little bit top line. However, as I say, we'll go in deeper in the comments over on Substack. The link for that is in the show notes. So to be honest, this paid community that I'm referencing, um, they kind of sustain me both emotionally and financially. Um, Emotionally, I really need to have these kinds of conversations at the moment. Uh, it's wonderful just to have a community of people who are like-minded and, and broad-minded. Um, I also limit the ads, the kinds of ads that I allow onto this podcast so that you don't get too annoyed. I know some slip through from time to time. Um, and I basically rely on the Substack sub- sub- subscriber community Um to kind of cover this work that I do, the research, the interviews, the concepts, the the connecting out to other thinkers in this space. So if you'd like to support all of this and join the conversation and join a community of really cool people, Substack is where 
we are. Um, we'll see you over there. And as I say, the link is in the show notes. Okay, so a few questions that I'll try to combine. Do they interweave? They produce a bit of a theme to this week's AMA. Um, Amanda McGregor, who I did meet in Perth, she asks, how do you balance the activism, heavy, important work that you do with your mental well-being and happiness and other things in your life? How do we look after ourselves and each other on the journey to making change? So, Amanda, first of all, activism is in fact what balances me. Um, I wrote in a book diary post um, oh, a couple of weeks, well, some time back now I think, and many of you did chime in on that one. I just was describing how I was talking to my mother about collapse and how it operates, what it's about, and she got quite upset and she said to me, but Sarah, I don't understand because you seem so happy and you seem calm, the happiest I've seen you. And, look, she's right, I am really quite the most stable and calmest and, and and happiest I've been in my life. And I explained to her that this was because what I was working on was making sense. The cognitive dissonance had backed away because looking into, into what's happening with uh, and looking at it truthfully, looking at the facts, not kind of clouding it with false ideas of hope, has actually made everything settle into a good place for me. Now, that said, we do need to do vigilant work on ourselves to be a broad vessel, to cope with the everything that's going on, with the conflicting feelings and considerations and crises that are swirling. And the best thing I find is to get super broad myself, super broad in my nervous system so that I can contain my multitudes, my reactions, which then enables me to contain the multitudes happening outside in the world. So I sort of allow myself to, and I concentrate on this, um, on being angry and exultant, exhausted and still fired up, ragey and compassionate and allowing all of it. And that's that's taking a vigilant practice and it's very ongoing. So meditation helps with this. Hot yoga is really working at the moment. I have been crying a fair bit in hot yoga. Um, silently, silently crying. Um, the heat is really kind of helping with, with all of this. Um, I've also been, I guess, lying in the hot mess of all of my hurt and my emotions that have been coming up quite a lot lately, in particular in re- reaction to, to what I'm watching, observing, trying to fathom in and around the Middle East crisis. Um, I've laid awake many, many nights in a row, um, I guess in a radical pain, um, and I've known I can't and shouldn't run from it. I've been accepting that this is the work, this is the thing, this is the thing I need to be doing, this is the adulting I need to be doing, being in it fully, letting the hurt course through my body, the rage course through me, and this in itself, lying awake in the middle of the night, doing this kind of exercise, it's, it's broadened me. Um, I don't strategize. I don't try to fix it. I just give in to it. Um, and it really has taken accepting that it's important for me to be awake all night with this rather than resisting my insomnia, which often causes, as anyone who is insomniac knows, it just causes more insomnia. Um, and invariably I do fall asleep because this process of um, sitting in emotion and not running from it, sees me arrive once again at that peaceful, calm, 
knowing, non-cognitively dissonant place. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really worked for me. Um, one final thought um, is kind of going back to the etiology of the term self-care. I think I've mentioned it once here before that Audre Lorde, the black activist, um, came up with the term in the late 1960s uh, and she used it to, to describe what black the black activists, the black women needed to be doing. These were women who are on the front line fighting for fundamental freedoms for their children, for their families. And these women had jobs. They were also looking after families, often extended families. And she would say, you need to go home and eat, shower and get some sleep so that you can be the broad vessel that is required to do this work, to fight for these freedoms. And we need to remind ourselves of that, that that is what self-care is meant to be about. It's about broadening so that we can contain the multitudes and then go back to the front line of being of service. It's not about cocooning and running away and hiding. So I thought I'd just throw that in there for anyone who is wishing to lead in these difficult times. Okay, so Claire, another subscriber, asks, I'm so overwhelmed by our human plight that I can barely do the dishes. Someone once said to me, if you can't even put your clothes away, how will you ever save the world? I get that point. Where does mental illness fit into all of this end of the world stuff? Okay, this is a bit of a similar answer. Um, It's about sitting through the terror of it, not running away by going numb, which is another way of running from things, Um, as I'm sure you probably No, deep down, Claire. We need to be alive to the horror of what we're seeing. We need to kind of, I guess, saddle up and sit through it and and be adult about about it Um, and know that, yes, it's not not meant to be painful uh, as we bear witness to what um, the Palestinians in particular are going through in Gaza. So I think this will help you put your clothes away and do the dishes uh, and so much more if you can accept that it's not bad to be feeling these feelings and to resist that running away to numbness. The other thing, um, and it sort of speaks to what I was writing about in a post from last week, I think it was, on Gaza once again, we need to be mindful that we don't deal with these big feelings, this pain, this hurt, this horror, by transforming it into blame, right, to get away from these bad, uncomfortable feelings. And so, yes, we really need to also resist that, blaming, creating another to dump our feelings onto. Um, That's something that I'm witnessing in myself and having to be mindful of myself. Um, And finally, Anna, who's a regular commenter here, so thank you, Anna, you wrote in the comments, I think in response to Claire's question at the time, you you quoted Krishnamurti's wonderful line, which I've been using actually for the past week or so. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. I find that this framing also helps me to remember that, you know, I'm not unwell. I'm I'm not deficient because I'm struggling to cope, right? Um And it's because the system, you know, I wrote about it again on Wednesday in a post about Moloch, which is another way of seeing how this is a systemic problem. And we're part of it and it passes through us and we contribute, but it's so much bigger than what we can handle and fix on our own. 
So I find that that also helps. Okay, finally, I think I've got time for one more question. Steph Gorman, you have asked about the tension between the pursuit of sort of creating art and um, amidst all this great uncertainty, you've written, yet these aspirations, I think, to to craft and to art, to create art, a purposeful life, um, these aspirations now seem to carry the burden of privilege and impracticality. And I hate to say it, but a sense of I don't deserve creative freedom. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there, Steph. You're essentially asking, should we be making art in the apocalypse? And it's a big question because it can feel indulgent when other people are suffering. Um, but I would say, Steph, yes, you must create art uh, at the moment in these times. Art is defiant. Art asks the questions we need to be asking right now. Um, Eric Fromm writes about this quite a lot. Um, Art enacts a a sort of spontaneity and a a positive freedom which reminds us of what we're both stuck in, which is a system of habit and discipline and and being economic units, right, in, in the system. And it reminds us of what we want to be fighting for, which is something better than all of that. Um, Fromm has written that art may be the best means of shaking us awake, and that's quote unquote. Yeah, I think art does shake us awake. Um, In a similar vein, the poet Teju Cole um, once was talking to Krista Tippett on her podcast and it stuck with me. He said that art gets us concentrating and focusing on the right stuff and he he wrote that the role of the artist is to get people to concentrate more. The artist raises a palm as if to say hush and listen and let's be still. Um, Alain de Baton sort of talks to this a little in a podcast I did a couple of weeks ago where he says that art is a weapon against despair. And I'll put a link to that on that Substack post for everyone who missed that wonderful episode. Um, My take, Steph, is yes, you absolutely must create the art. Artists create our new world um, and help us move through these liminal times. And liminal times are when times in history, as we are uh, in one now, where an old world has has died, an old way of being, the old normal is at least dying if not dead. Some people are saying it's certainly dead. It doesn't serve us any longer. And the new world, a new way of being is yet to become. We haven't actually quite worked out what it's going to look like amidst all the uncertainty. And I have actually written something on this and I dug it up. Um, it might make its way into this book that I'm writing, Um I've written about 100,000 words worth of notes. Um, So, yes, anyway, I'll share share this little chunk with you because I think it answers your question in part, Steph. Philosophers in the late 19th century, which was another liminal time, saw art as the necessary tool for tempering human excess and volatility that can surface when we're between worlds. Frederick Schiller um, famously wrote that cultivating aesthetic education might have actually tempered some of the fury of the reign of terror that took hold after the French Revolution. The gist of his theory is that engaging in art sees us nurture our emotional responses and attention. It fosters agency and this becomes a tempering force against the fervour of ideology. 
The influential historian Jacob Burkhardt, also writing in the same era, argued that the great upheavals in world history necessarily clear the ground of discredited ideas and decaying institutions. Invariably, it's the creatives, the artists, who first notice that we are shit suddenly between worlds. They sniff the zeitgeist early and realise they are left without a world and so their work, by necessity, turns to creating the next one. So make art, make art amid all the uncertainty, Steph, and despair because we have a new world that needs to be created. Um, This is one final point I'll just throw in here. I think art also differentiates us from AI, which is increasingly becoming important. It's an increasingly important distinction that I feel we're wanting to make amid discussions of the singularity and transhumanism. These are themes that if they're not familiar to you, I've written about and I've also interviewed people about um, on my podcast. Again, I'll put those links in that Substack post if you'd like to catch up. Um, AI basically is trying to make art by combining data. That's what all these new models are doing. And then perfecting it. It's kind of advanced mimicry of what we humans do. But we humans create art by combining data with experience, with emotions, with notions of awe and the sublime and with our relationships and in messy and imperfect ways. And it's that kind of messy, imperfect juncture that resonates for us. We see ourselves in it and it takes us to broadening or broader, expansive places. That's what art does. And so I feel that whatever we're creating art, AI can't be us. It's it's the thing that distinguishes us from AI because AI can't access these shared human experiences of awe and sublime, etc. So we need to create art to remind us of what it is to be human. Uh, so these are all themes that kind of interweave. I love talking these, these slightly esoteric, emotional, liminal ideas and putting them through these new kind of lenses that we've been exploring here. But I reckon it would be super interesting to um, apply this way of thinking to sort of some chunky material current affairs concepts. So if you've got some questions about what's happening in the world today that you're listening to on the news or you're reading about elsewhere and you're wanting a different take, why don't you send them through as a question to be addressed by me in one of these AMAs in future episodes? I think that could be fun. So again, in the Substack post, post the questions there. Um, Stephanie, Claire and Amanda, thank you very much for your questions from this week. Um, I will see you next week for more of this wild kind of fun. Um, And I'll see you at the meetups, Sydney and Byron soon. Thank you. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.